You know, it just seems like it's got to be a good thing to have the risen Son of God as your friend, doesn't it? Yeah, well, now he's going to confuse us with a parable. So hang on. Maybe if you get to the end of this and you think, well, preacher, that wasn't confusing at all, maybe you could enlighten me later. <laughs> Drop me an email. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifty. Then he asked another, How much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust, you, entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a commentator that I read fairly regularly, his name is David Luce, he said this, So what do you think? Is it ever okay to tell the congregation that you really have no idea what a passage means? I know, I know that may be hard to do as we are, after all, supposed to be the experts in this kind of thing. Moreover, it might be a tad scandalous for some as they have pretty high confidence in your ability to help them understand the Scriptures. I'll admit to you, I'm not sure I have a clue exactly what Jesus is getting at here. I mean, did you notice that Jesus commended the guy for cheating his master even after he cheated his master? I mean, this is a problem. I mean, you sh like for instance, if you go to the brake machine at your work and you go more than when you're supposed to or you stay at home because you just don't care to go in, you're stealing from your company, right? Somewhere in the midst of all that stuff in the Bible, there's this don't steal thing. I heard somebody say one time, well, it doesn't matter, it's just office equipment. 
right? I mean, how many, you know, I ordered a bunch of pens for us to give away at the bazaar. You'd be surprised how much pens cost when you order a bunch of them. What happens if you take 25 big pens home? You've taken $50 home, right? Stealing is stealing. And this guy, he decides that he's going to have these people come in who owe his manager money, and he's going to get them to change their bill. The first thing that occurs to me is, why didn't he change the bill? Who in the world decides that a debtor can write down what they really owe? Don't you wish your credit card company or your home mortgage company would do that? They just call you up one day and say, hey, you know what? We've been mismanaging everything, so here's your bill. Write down what you think you should pay. Wouldn't that be something? I remember when people were getting bailed out who had uh, home loans they really couldn't afford because remember we did that easy credit thing there through the late 90s where you could go get a home loan with nothing down and no interest, and, you know, these great balloon interest rates and next thing you know everybody's having to sell their homes or getting kicked out of their houses. Remember that horror that we went through 2007 to 2009? That whole collapse was caused by people who made it, wanted to make a quick buck off of people's desire to own a home. I remember my brother saying that he called Countrywide to tell him he went, if they were going to bail everybody else and he wasn't paying either. <laughs> they told him he should pay. They didn't offer to let him adjust his bill at all. And this is the weirdest thing, man. It's like you read this and you think, why in the world is this in the Bible? Why did this stick in Luke's mind? Somebody told him, hey, one day Jesus was teaching and he told this parable. We're going to tell it to you and you write it in your little book, Luke. And he writes this thing down. And if you really sit and study it, it's not all that helpful. I mean, if you take the normal thing we do with parables where we come to and say, okay, who is God in this parable? Who's the manager? Who is the debtors? You know how we start to apply parables. But the trick with this one is Jesus didn't say in this one the kingdom of God is like. He just told a story. But somehow in it there's supposed to be this parabolic meaning that shifts over our head until we finally get it and then it makes all this wonderful sense and changes our lives. I ain't there yet. <laughs> it's just true. There's something in this that's unsettling. Because Jesus says this thing that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with. He says that I should use unrighteous money to make friends for myself. I think, wow. But that's what the manager did, right? He canceled debts that weren't his to cancel so that when he got fired, he wouldn't go have to go out and dig ditches or beg. Did you catch that? He's completely and utterly concerned with preserving himself, and so he does something that is a, on top of everything else, cheating his manager, his master even more. But even the master commends him for his shrewdness. And where I'm stuck on this is not unpacking any of that. I could see how his manager might have said, you know, if you had worked that hard when you had your job, you wouldn't be getting fired. Anybody ever heard that before? <laughs> I could see how we could apply this that way. I'm with Jesus on this thing until he says that the children of light should behave the same way. And I just can't figure out exactly what that looks like. What does it look like for us to use mammon in a beneficial way. What does it look like for us to use dishonest wealth 
in an honorable way. I remember one time some friends of mine at the seminary were going to play the lottery. That was weird. But they were Lutheran, so they could do it. The Methodist church has spent $500,000 billion fighting the lottery, basically threw money down the drain that we could have helped people with. But that's another story. But they were all going to buy lottery tickets. Could it, it had hit that point where it was worth wasting a dollar on, you know what I mean? You see people on the news, oh, it's up to $529 million billion. I'm going to go buy a ticket now. And they were going to buy tickets, and I told them, I said, well, you know, I just can't do that, because if I won, I'd have to be on the front page of the paper, right? Because I won. And then the bishop would see that I had been playing the lottery, and in our book of discipline, it says, thou shalt not gamble. And they said, well, what would you do if you win? I said, I'd pay for seminary with it. I'd put the devil's money to good work. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying here. But I don't, I'm not in contact enough with it to tell you that that's what Jesus is saying. But dear ones, out there and around us is this thing that some people call the almighty dollar for a reason. Because this thing runs people's lives. It runs their lives into the ground. It works them to death. People working themselves to death to provide a better life for their children who never see them because they're working themselves to death. I heard a pastor say one time that he's never sat with someone while they were dying and heard them say, I wish I'd paid more attention to my bank account. But he says, I've heard a lot of people say, I wish I'd paid more attention to my kids. It's tough, isn't it? So John Wesley steps in and he says to the Methodists, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And we think, John, that's a weird thought. Aren't I supposed to earn all I can so I can buy all the stuff I want? But what Wesley's saying might be the key to understanding this parable. Because this manager is not in touch with how important the property of his master really is. But everything in creation is the property of God. Including the paper that this miserable thing is printed on. How are we called to use it? I think Luke was probably confused by the story that Jesus told too, so he gave us a helpful way into it at the very end. At the very end, he gives us what it might really be about. We're not supposed to emulate what the manager does. We're supposed to start off on the right foot and not end up in this scurrilous mess by remembering that this is an idol that will steal our souls will steal our lives, will make us miserable if we let it. It made the manager miserable, didn't it? He's squandering his master's wealth. I don't know what he was doing, but all of a sudden he figures out a way to save his job. So he thinks. It's all just terribly confusing to me. But when I get to the very end, when I get to that very end, I know what Luke is talking about when he says this. You cannot serve God and wealth. Somehow that's what the whole thing boils down to. Somehow the manager had found a way to prosper himself while he squandered his master's goodness and property. 
And it had destroyed the relationships in his life. It's ruined his life with his boss. It's ruined his life with his customers. And now he's trying to make friends by canceling debts. Most of the people who I've known who died lonely and miserable, died lonely and miserable because they spent their life chasing after a dollar. It'll destroy all of our relationships. And that's why Jesus said you can't be a slave to God and a slave to money at the same time. Because dear ones, if all we think about is money, money is all we think about. There is a reason that our newscasts so very often lead with the economy. The world wants us to be like a battery that drives everything. They want us to buy, 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 buy and hoard things. You know, just the other day I heard this advertisement for a brand new iPhone that has three cameras on it. What? And people are going to line up to waste money on it. they got a perfectly good phone already. It's so easy to get trapped in the idea that everything we earn and have is for and about us. When God gives to us so that we can serve others. So that good relationships will dominate our lives and not money. Because money can not only come between us and God, it can come between us and family members. And if you don't believe me, wait till you have a wealthy family member who dies. And then I want you to come back and say, you were right, preacher. I have seen it. I have seen brothers and sisters fight over a parent's will. The parent wrote down what they wanted. In one situation, one sister had taken care of her mother the last of her mother's entire life, and her sister and brother hadn't offered any help, whether financial or physical. But buddy, they were ready to fight for their rights at the probate court when mama left everything to the daughter that helped her. It's a scary thing to see this story where this man is caught up in his gluttony and his wealth and his life is being destroyed by it. And Jesus calls us to be shrewd and see money as a tool. It's the only clue I got for you here. Money is a tool that we use to serve God and serve others. That is its proper use. Wesley said that we should make what we can and take care of ourselves, take care of our families, take care of those around us, and then turn our eyes to the church, and then turn our eyes outside the church and the needs of the community. And I think he was spot on right and gives us a way to understand here that what God gives to us in terms of wealth is meant for the good of others and to build relationships that matter. So if you take a deep, long look at your life and you see that money is destroying your relationships, then you may be in that awkward place where money is your God and not the God of Israel. That's the Gospel's warning this morning. Money can steal our hearts. Steal our hearts. And turn our affections away from the living God to a paper God. Dear ones, may we be shrewd and be aware 
and be on guard. That's the clue that's in this story, I think. But I'd love to hear what you thought as you heard it read. Email me this week. Pastor, here's what I thought it was about. How did that reading speak to you? What did you hear Jesus saying to you when He said, Be as shrewd as the children of the world and how you use wealth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.